Hey, this is Peyton Hopp, driver of the U98 Mike's Hard Lemonade in Saturday Night Hydro League, the Hydro Sim Racing League. I am excited to share that the Rooster Tail Talk podcast is a presenting sponsor of the fall series. They will be racing this fall as we take to the virtual lakes around the H1 series with our 10 race season starting on October 3rd. You can watch all 10 races with our streaming service on YouTube under UHL Hydroplanes. Do you want to join in on the virtual deck-to-deck racing? You can download the HydroSim game at uhlhydroplanes.com. Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again, so sit back, relax, and welcome to Tail Talk. It is September 1st, 2020, and this is episode 51. About a month or so ago, my co-host, Jeff Bernard, and myself, we sat down via Zoom And we talked with legendary driver, mechanic, owner, Nate Brown. We talked for quite some time, so listeners will be treated to a three-part episode for this. Yes, that's right, three parts. We talked about a lot of different things. But in this first part, we focus more on the beginnings of Nate Brown's career, growing up around the Seattle area, how he got into the sport, what interested him, and his early days into boat racing predominantly his time racing inboards. And at the end, we talked a little bit about him getting involved in the Unlimited ranks. Joining us today, we have a co-host once again, Jeff Bernard in studio. How's it going, Jeff? Good, how are you doing, David? Doing great, doing great. I think it looks like you just got off of a few laps on the Hydro Sim. <laughs> I know that thing's addicting. And uh, good job last week, by the way. I mean, almost had it there. Yeah, almost had it the last two races. Yeah. Kind of bummed that we missed Gunnersville for Burley. Uh, well, I'm not bummed because I got to go race a real boat instead of on a video game. But it is a lot of fun. Uh, they're keeping track of points, though. And we're like, Trey filled in for me in Gunnersville, And we're 200 or something out of the championship lead. And I'm like 800 back after missing a race in the drivers. So making up a lot of points. Just got to put it together in a final one of these yeah. days, hopefully this weekend. Yeah. There we go. We'll look forward to that. Yeah, this weekend, Seafair, right? Or Seattle? Yeah, and Sunday will be Seattle at noon. So right. we're we're hoping to put it together there. If right. not, San Diego. It's kind of like real life. Do really good in the heats and then go in the final and do crappy. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> well, we're also joined with our guest today, Nate Brown. Nate, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks, David, for doing this. It's awesome. Yeah, and it was fun watching Jeff uh, stick his nose in there and, and crash. And it's, it's kind of cool because I could actually mm-hmm. giggle when somebody crashed. It's the only difference really between watching that and watching the real one. You don't giggle when somebody crashes with the real one. No, no, your heart stops on the real one. But, yeah, you can have more fun with this one, that's for sure. <laughs> well, Nate, you're like me. You've been around, I think, Seattle for a number of years. Uh, were you... Did you, uh, were you born here? Were you originally from the Seattle area? Oh, I was, I was born in Newport Beach, California, and oh. I lived in Malibu, California um, for a number of years. And my parents moved up here when I was young, uh, in first grade or so, 
up into Lake Washington, a place called Newport Shores, right on the lake. So I grew up on the lake. So really the first memory I have is, is seafarer and hydroplane races. And you could hear them. And I remember, uh, you know, rowing around Mercer Island as a young lad and uh, watching it run when it could see rooster tails. You couldn't see anything. And it was kind of cool. It was just a, you know, back then it was everything. It was, it was the thing we watched around here. Everybody had every, I mean, everybody had picnics and they watched it. They went by boat. Um, I lived across a canal from a guy named Pat O'Day, who was uh, a DJ. You guys all know Pat O'Day. We knew him as Pat Berg. Um, their last name was Berg. But it was really cool because, you know, I mean, I met him after his wife hit our dog. And anyway, it's a long story, but um, it was kind of fun, you know, seeing all of uh, all that stuff that happened back then. And uh, little, I remember sitting on my kitchen table or their kitchen table looking outside and seeing a guy with what I thought was the coolest thing since sliced toast. And that was a little, it was a one liter or an 850 back then just hauling ass on Nick Washington. And uh, I remember to myself thinking, now that's cool. And you know, you don't think of it really back then, but those first images, the first things you remember, the first uh, experiences you have really play into the future of oneself. Well, growing up, like what, did you have any favorite drivers that you followed? Is there any heroes that you had? You know, favorite teams? Heroes? I had people I, I looked up to, you know, I mean, that I, I always like aspired to be, but I don't know if I call them heroes. I mean, Bill Muncy was somebody that I saw and watched. Uh, some of the first boats I watched, and I was one of those guys that, you know, pulled a hydro behind their bike and all that, everybody's right. story. The only difference was my dad worked for Boeing and I had a cool one because he had titanium plate underneath the bottom line, so the white sparks up and not yellow sparks from the nails. Man. So it was really kind of cool. I was pretty special. So I, I loved all the, the technology stuff. And, and my favorite boat back then was the U95. And it was really the implement of the turbine that really, you know, I'm probably the first guy that really thought that. Everybody likes pistons and the noise. I hate noise and I hate blowing oil and all that stuff. I like the, the turbines. I like the technology of things. I like being different. I was really bummed when that sucker sank. But uh, to me, that was the boat that, that brought me into liking the unlimited hydroplanes as far as, hey, this is cool. Yeah, that definitely was a, a different boat and uh, brought in a whole different state of technology with that U95. So a very good answer. I like that. But you went, you went to the University of Washington. You graduated from University of Washington, right? I went to, I went to the University of Washington. Yeah. I'm not going to graduated. I got a lot of credits on chemical engineering. Uh, all kinds of stuff. I worked there for a number of years too as yeah. well. So the University of yeah. Washington is a great school, great sports team. So Huskies rock. Yeah. They, know, ooh, can, ooh. Can, did you believe that Harbaugh canceled that game this year for the Michigan Husky <laughs> game? I know. Weird that that? <laughs> no, the thing about Michigan, pretty much all of their teams suck. And I <laughs> thought it was really kind of cool to see, you know, it, as much as I love Detroit and the hydroplane races, you know, the, the wolf, everything Michigan is just like, it's just terrible. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Tigers. I mean, geez, where do, where do you stop? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway, I'm just giving Jeff a hard time. I know he's a Michigan guy. And I root for a good competition no matter where I am, but I have to admit Michigan does stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, when it comes to Huskies, I always got to give anyone I can a hard time. So I appreciate that. <laughs> there you go. Well, I know Jeff want to talk more about your limited days and your like pre-unlimited stuff. So. That's cool. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about you know your early days with your career. Boy, I mean, it was uh, 
I don't know how to really start. I mean, back in 1971, um, I, my dad got laid off from Boeing, make a long story short, uh, and he ended up getting a job in Pasadena, California. And down there, he met a guy uh, named Del Maxfield, who used to also work at, at JPL. And uh, when my dad you know, moved back up here uh, in Issaquah, uh, Dell wanted to race. There was a guy that was really the big shot in the five liter class or back then it was called the 280s. His name, you know, was uh, John Leach. I was thinking David Leach and I knew it wasn't David, it was John. So anyway, John Leach was running the Buccaneer and Del Maxfield wanted to run him, but he wanted to beat him for high points. So he kept his boat in my dad's garage in Issaquah. So I used to sneak out there in the seventh grade and sit in the boat, pretend I was a race boat driver. And I got pictures somewhere of this, um, but it's, it's really kind of cool to think about that. It was a Carrollson bit bullet. A boat was called Tradition. So that was really the first, you know, kind of inkling I had. I mean, first of all, there was all this stuff at Lake Washington, but by then we'd moved into Issaquah. And sitting in that boat, looking at how cool it was, and it was smaller, so it was kind of more realistic. And it's hard to explain that, but, you know, really, it's just as hard to run a five liter as it is an unlimited. People don't realize that, but it seems more capable when you run a, a smaller boat because it's smaller, you can visualize it. You know? Kind of like the old mall shows we used to have when I was a kid. You know, you'd go to the South Center or whatever and you'd see hydroplanes in the mall. They, they yeah. displays and that kind of stuff. And those were huge to me. I mean, to see those cool things that parents would do with their kids, the outboards or the inboards and all that stuff. So all those things kind of added up. But early days, that was uh, 71, my first really exposure to sitting in a boat. And going to the races and cheering somebody on was Del Maxfield. He did beat um, John, by the way. And uh, the first real race I went to was 1979. I crewed for uh, a guy named uh, Pat for one race because he worked with my brother Skip at Kenworth. So anyway, I crewed there in 79. That's where I, I met Terry Troxell and, and all that kind of stuff. He was running a seven-liter back then. That summer, I bought an old conventional boat. Um, out of Lake, Lake Sammamish. I went there as a whim. Um, I was a 19-year-old kid, and, and it was for sale for 500 bucks. so I took a loan out for 500 bucks and bought my first title plane. I still wow. have it, but it's in my loft. So that's kind of how it all started, and uh, it was a lot of fun. The, Jeff Campbell, back when he was really friendly, um, gave me a great, uh, a, a great help and gave me everything, basically. Gave me the plans for a boat. We lined it, and I made it out of composite. It was really pretty much the first all composite hydroplane. Uh, Mike Hansen helped me back then, um, building the cowling. Uh, John Watkins helped me build the boat. Jeff Campbell helped me build the boat. And that was uh, the first all composite hydroplane. Um, I remember testing at Lake Taps, uh, first time in the water. I was sitting in the boat and three people launched it by hand. That's how light it was. Wow. And it, uh, when we set the first record, um, it beat the record by, uh, I want to say it was, 17 miles an hour, something, something unheard of. It was 57 and went to 72 miles an hour with that record. So right after that, I think they put the weight limits in. <laughs> but it was kind of fun. It was, it was fun doing something different. And uh, it was fun being fast and, and all yeah. that. So that's kind of how I started with it. What, what class was that again? That was a 1,200cc. Okay. Again, it was small, so I realized it, you know. Um, oh. Knowing what I know now, I would have built a 5-liter right, right off the bat because – it wouldn't have been really any more money to build and it would have put a lot more water up and it would have, you know, sped up my, my deal. But I had no aspirations other than to have fun. Truly. Yeah. I mean, even, even to the day I got my unlimited ride, I really didn't have the aspiration to do that. It was just kind of cool. I was in the right spot at the right time. 
cool. That the boat that you have a uh, picture in the office blowing over? Yeah, exactly. That's the little composite boat that uh, Terry Collins, I think that he spot. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know where it is now. It could be just sitting in some flower pot somewhere. It's a T boat. If it's the same boat, it's a T boat, I think. Now, is that a Kel Was it a Kelson? No, it was a Campbell. Oh, oh. Campbell, kind of shingle looking sponsons. Yeah, because he later on he bought the Kelson. But this yeah, is before. the Kelson boat's a T boat now. I think some guy named Bruce Maui owns it now. Bruce Maui? Something <laughs> like that. I don't remember the names from back east at all. I was one of the bucket list items that I, I never able to accomplish was I really wanted to go back east and race against the guys back east in that early days because uh, really the guys back east were the guys to beat and uh, never got a chance never raced Valley Field never even been to Valley Field someday oh, before you gotta go yeah and, uh, you gotta go huh yeah you gotta I, go I keep telling them if they ever put SEs on I go <laughs> and go race because I think that would be um, everything don't have fun you don't even have to go race to have fun there I mean, it's cool to race there. I, I, my first time racing there was 2018, and I had been there 15 times before then. So, yeah, I, someday I'll go. I mean, it's always it was always opposite. Uh, what was it, Madison or something like that for years and years? Yeah, yeah, Madison, Madison and, or Detroit usually. Right, right. So I just, you know, I never have gone. And, um, one of these years, I'm just going to go and hang out, and it's fun to race too. But it would be fun just to go to watch a boat race. But I'm not a good spectator. Um, terrible spectator i'd like to compete i'd like to be participating somehow in yeah. boat racing so it's, it's a lot a, more fun it's, to watch. it's a different set of watching up there in the grandstands I, I, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, no other it, boat race i've <laughs> heard it's so fantastic over there i'm making plans to go next year because i really want to experience that but i've never yeah, been it's, before either it's yeah, yeah it's, uh, i hear that's the way to you know i hear it's <laughs> crazy and and that's all good it's, it was it similar to burley jeff or is it just twice Burley or what is how does he compare with Burley because Burley's pretty crazy if you get down there this year was okay um, but in years past Burley was quite the quite the, the deal uh it's better I mean it I guess the most similar one as far as how fans are uh knowledge of boat racing and stuff like that it'd be like mm -hmm. Tri-Cities okay. uh, but there's no inboard race in the in the world like it it's right it's insane the whole the whole town is behind it. It's it's a month long deal leading up to it. And that's kind of why it got canceled so early that they didn't know that uh, when they would be able to do it. And once they started getting into all the events that lead up to it, uh, without having those that fund the race, I mean they have like million dollar budget for it. So right, it's a big event. It's, for it's, it's a huge event. It's. Yeah. It's the most insane thing. I mean, obviously, back at the early 90s, late 80s, it was a little bit bigger than it is now, but it's still – and when you get on the race course and actually drive it, you got fans all the way down the front stretch and all the way down the back stretch. Uh, it's you, weird that they don't show a lot of the fans in the videos. I've seen a lot of videos. I've seen some crowds. But it's like – it's not like – it doesn't look like it's that huge of a deal. But obviously, when you're there, it must be. So – I do know that yeah. talking to racers, if you don't have your shit together, they don't they don't wait for nothing. They just go. No. Nope. And yeah. they're not yeah. you gotta have your stuff all in line or you're you're toast. Yeah. yeah, even if you're driving multiple glasses, like and you have a problem and they bring you in on a jet ski, you could step foot on the dock and get on the as soon as you put foot on the next boat that you're getting ready to strap in, they'll go one to the five. 
something. <laughs> they're, they're not waiting for you. It's yeah. your problem that you decided to drive multiple classes, but they they do an awesome job. I, they Right now, they're assigned lanes and all that stuff, so you don't really fight for anything. Five-minute period don't mean anything. So in 18, especially during the finals, I took a minute when I went out and kind of looked around at the crowd, and uh, it definitely got a different feeling leading into the race, just knowing how many people were actually watching you to drive up. 350 or a two and a half stock we don't we don't experience that anywhere in the world yeah it's interesting you said that because the later times i was racing and driving except for maybe burley this year i did a little bit but not a lot because i had so many things going on in burley but the uh is taking time when you're driving the boat to look at the fans on the beach I remember the last couple of times i drove an unlimited i i did that at seafair and i'm sitting here going why am I beating my brains out for 42 people on the beach? It was one of those years that was, you know, bad weather and all that stuff. But, you know, it's a TV, it's a show and all that stuff. But it is different to know when I started this unlimited sport uh, back in 91, even in 91, which is to me modern day. It's not even old day. To think of the old days when you saw pictures of Detroit and all the, you know, the stories you hear about half a million people and all this kind of stuff, I just can't imagine it. When we were on Wide World of Sports, to think now we were on cable TV, but today we would die for cable TV. You know, so it, it's one of those things where it, it has definitely changed and everything's changed. But it, it is cool to look out at the fans when you're driving the boat to think that they're watching you and you're watching them. So it was cool to see Jeff know that he's to that point where he's starting to watch the fans now <laughs> when he's out in the boat. It's good. Well, it was, and to be fair, it's because we're the five-minute period there you don't have – the stuff that's going on when you're fighting for lanes. So you have nothing else to do. <laughs> I like Don't worry about five minutes, how you're going to hit the clock at zero. Yeah. I like racing for, it's fun to fight for lanes, you know, cause I know in the super stock, it was fun around here to fight for lanes. I could usually get one, two or three pretty easy. Um, the bad part about not fighting for lanes is you have to have a good heat race. And then if, if you don't have a good time, you're stuck in lane three or four or five or something like that. Right. So, it's like, oh, geez, then you're in no man's land. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a chess match, isn't it? Yeah. And the way that HRL does it, I mean, it's – if you, it, we tried to get something similar in the Unlimiteds this year or actually do the exact same thing, um, which people think that it won't work. And I think it will. You get guys like Jimmy that will – you know, probably be in lane one the first heat, but the next two heats he's going to have to be on the outside. And he's going to have to run really hard to try to get lane one in the final to win from the outside. And maybe four boats out there, him being on the outside isn't a big deal. But uh, I think right now it's trying to take the referee out of the equation and all the rules before the heat and get the penalties away from happening before the race actually starts because that's <laughs> – we keep yeah. uh, changing our seafarer winner for something that happened before the race even started. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's right. putting it, making it a good show for the fans too, right? Let's take them some elements out. Like you said, like it's not taking a race away, yeah, away a, from someone. So, as a driver, we all want to fight for lanes, especially yeah. us that uh, some of us that don't feel that we're in the fastest boat and put the driver in the seat. But at the end of the day, we're pissing off the fans yeah. and have no fans. Then we don't have any boat racing. Right. And yeah. I, we're getting close to, to that happening. That's how I got my first ride. I mean, in 92, when I built Fred's boat, um, 
you know, I got I got the job because I was working on uh, the Placero and I, I helped that deal. And he wanted to build a boat just like the Circus, which, you know, Bill Walk modified when he was with Bennett, that Woomer mm-hmm. bought. And they, they we didn't physically didn't touch it except repaint it. Um, but he, he knew that I knew about it, so he hired me to build a boat. He actually, first of all, he bought a bunch of panels from me, composite panels, wanted to build the boat. Then he uh, hired me to build a boat because I was without a job. So I did. It was a lot of work, man. Let me tell you. It was, it's, it's, I loved Fred Leland. I learned a lot from him. I learned how to grow thick skin. Um, I learned how to do stuff with nothing. You know, I learned, you know, a lot of things. Uh, but I also learned, uh, you know, that what a, how not to be too as well. You know, if that makes any sense. Uh, but he did give me a great opportunity. And the only reason he gave me the opportunity is I had a five-year at the time. It was uh, the Storking, which was John Husick's old boat, which was beautiful. Back then, I had a bunch of friends, you know, die from boating accidents. So I was one of the first, actually, I think it was the first enclosed cockpit in a five-liter in the country back then. It was a seven-liter cockpit that Jones had, the first version that was like on pay and play or uh, those boats. And I cut it down and made it work on, on Husick's boat. And it was heavy and it was okay. I worked on it and it was reasonably competitive. But for some lucky reason, I went to Lake Taps and I just had a great day. I mean, the boat was running good. I had perfect starts. I, I beat Trops leaving both heats. Um, it was really a good time and I, I waxed the field and, and Fred hired me, I think because I had good starts on the inside and uh, to drive the boat too as well, which is a great opportunity. And most, most owners would never do that. So I was one of those vintage of drivers that really, I wasn't just a driver. I mean, I was probably a driver secondary to building a boat and, you know, working on stuff. Um, you know, so I, that's really how all that stuff with Fred started. So that was a lot of fun. It was a great experience and uh, I'm glad it was only a year. <laughs> it took a lot out of it. Before you went into the Unlimited, well, you mentioned the five I was going to ask you about that, but after the 850, you did the, you, is that when you built the Domino's pizza boat? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that, that's probably one of your best inboard? I, you know, it was a Hanson Hall. Um, I built it with Mike down there at uh, Munster Road in Tukwila. Uh, he had just left uh, Kelson's shop and he started his business. So I had a friend of mine, Al Schober, who gave him the space down there at the Schober building. So he started his little boat building business down there. And uh, I was one of the, you know, first boats out of there. It was Wild Ways, the Enterprise, my boat, a couple other ones. And uh, it was, it was a pretty competitive boat. Um, and it was, it was okay with the 2000 in it, but I put that 2300 in it when Cobra, when OMC made that available. And it was pretty fast. Um, I would say it was as competitive as some of the big guys in the country. Uh, when Dutch would come out and race me, believe it or not, Dutch is still running that class, but when he came out and raced me, it was either he would win or I would win or whatever, but it was, it was very competitive. It was a lot of fun to get a composite boat with a wood deck. And I had a great sponsor. Even back then I got 12,000 bucks a year from, uh, a local Domino's distributorship and you know back then that's a lot of money to run a little 145 so I did a lot of shows for him did a lot of marketing um, just had a great time you know doing all that stuff uh, a lot of fun with my family it was my crew my brother uh, brother-in-law uh, my then wife and you know, her sister and uh, we had a great time when uh, so the inboard commission just bought that boat and said Kip's house. So now that you see it, does it make you, know, you want to turn it into a vintage and go crazy. and do some laps? No, when that boat became for sale for 2000 bucks, I'll be honest with you, I thought about buying it and, and doing just that because 
it's like, but I don't want all my old boats back, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Was, I was really happy that, that Kit bought it um, because I think it's a great prospect. The boat is in amazing condition. Honestly, it's as good as it was when I sold it. So that's the crazy part is why, how is it kept so good after all these years? It wouldn't be a competitive 2.5 stock today. I mean, it's just things have evolved and it's too small, uh, too narrow, too everything. Um, but as far as a little T-boat goes, I think uh, the proper power plant, I think that's what Kip's planning on doing with it, with the Inboard Commission, is coming up with some kind of a power plant that you could virtually spray the grease off of out of the wrecking yard and put it in and make it, you know, go, you know, 80 miles an hour or something like that for the kids. So I think uh, I would love to help with that project. I'm sure Kip will let me, but it is kind of weird to see it sitting right on my property line right now. I think I'm working where it stares me in the face to think that that's ended up full circle. Yeah, I don't know when, when Scott Rainey acquired it, but he, he turned it into a one liter and it was fairly fast one liter up until the point where we all went two strokes and then kind of right. obsoleted the boat. Yeah, it did. It's just too short. It's only 14 feet long, 14.4, I think exactly. So, so you, you know, built this all you needed. So it was weight was everything. You built that with Mike. Is that when you and Mike became friends? When you go to Nate's shop in the office, there's, four or five pictures throughout the years of him and Mike. I, I When I was driving for Nate or on team with Nate or even last year being on the Alberto, every time they're around, they get a, a picture together at the race almost. It seems like every year. Yeah, I, I, I got a picture every year. I, I see him, and it's pretty crazy. I, Mike and I uh, – Mike helped me build my one liter back in the day. He's been a, a friend forever, really. So I respect him like crazy and, uh, I, you know, a good friend. He's taking the salmon fishing and – I think as he gets, you know, up there in years and starts slowing down on the boat racing thing too as well, I, I hope to spend more time with Mike and do other, other boating time, fun stuff. You know, but he, uh, yeah, I got a, it's an amazing picture. Someday I'll put it all together and post it. But the first pictures of him and me, I think I was 19 and he was 18 or 17. Wow. Um, and then I got a picture virtually every year from then to now. I'm 61 and he's got to be like 58 or 59. So I, mean, I don't know, he's a year or two younger. Well, that'd be fun to see all those those pictures throughout the years. That'd be yeah, pretty it's cool. pretty crazy to look yeah. at all the uniforms, too. That's the interesting part. <laughs> you know, I mean, the different uniforms, different sponsors, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Mike's one guy that is really an amazing crew chief, uh, amazing uh, organizer, um, all that kind of stuff. He's really a professional. And uh, he, he did definitely find his calling, but he was into it back with, I don't know, you don't remember that, Jeff, but his, his first boat was called Running Bear. And that was his 145. He then he drove uh, for a uh, uh, guy up in Canada with Mohawk. Um, he drove that around. So I got a really cool picture. I posted it, I think, on there where Mike and I put my my one liter on top of his van and uh, his 145 behind it, and we took off to Arizona to Parker to try to set a kilo record. And we both ran through there. I didn't have a great day. It went pretty fast, but I didn't beat the record. But I remember putting all the fuel on my credit card back then. We stayed in the truck. I mean, it was just one of those deals where you have nothing. And, and I, I borrowed gas money to go down there and to race. And we did shitty. And we came home, and that was it. But I got some great pictures along the way. And uh, that's kind of where it all started. Mike's a, Mike's a great guy. Yeah, he definitely is. I, it's one of the best things about being on the Madison team right now is being able to work with Mike. It's something that I've always wanted to do. 98, I got a little bit of taste of it when my uncle was driving for Jones and he was the crew chief then. But uh, being a driver underneath him is 
completely awesome. There's, he's one of the most talented guys, I think, in the sport. Um, like you said, he found his calling as a crew chief. A lot of people want him on here. We, I've tried. David had me try to get him on here. I think yeah. once COVID, then we can sit down at the shop where he doesn't have to download Zoom or anything. We might be able to get him on. Right. Trevor, right. his son, over the house this weekend, and he was even saying that his dad should get on here because he's got some good, good stories. And um, hopefully, hopefully, once we can go sit at the shop and he doesn't have to do all the technical yeah. side, we might be able yeah. to lock him down. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get him. We'll lock him. Lock him in a room, and we'll get him talking. Exactly. Just trip him. You know, just gonna say, "Hey, Mike, let's go fishing." <laughs> He'll go there, right, and just show up with a Zoom thing. But now he's a uh, he's definitely one of the last of the Mohicans, and and I think he's one of the only basically professional boat racers we got left. I mean, we had Dale there for a long time, but I think he's retired now. Um, but there's really not many professional boat racers around. Well, everyone I've talked to has just had spoken so highly of Mike, so it's it's fun to hear um, just how respected he is in the in the sport by all. Well, you think about it; he's been on some winning teams, and um, yeah. he's put together things, and, and he puts together stuff from nothing. And uh, it's hard to do, especially with the budgets that the teams have now. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to believe, but when I got like when I started driving for Tide, it was the first year Procter and Gamble cut their budget in half, and that budget in half was one and a half million dollars a year. So the year before when Pierso was driving for him, rest is, rest in peace, Scotty, um, you know, it was a three million dollar budget and he was making six figures a year. So things have gone downhill. I mean, even when I was driving for Elam, you know, I was making sixty, sixty five hundred bucks a race or something like that. And I don't I don't think that drivers today make anywhere near that. I don't know, but there for a while, when I was even still owner, it was a couple grand was about the average for a driver to get paid. And yeah. most anymore, I mean, if you get a hundred thousand dollars sponsor a year, you're doing good. So yeah. I, it's just sad to see how things have gone, but it is interesting to see how they've adapted. Um, we've put in rules in place to save parts, to save, you know, equipment, um, you know, engines, if you don't crash them, if you do it right, they'll last. And it's one of the things I can say about the red dot team, um, with the exception of when Jeff stuffed it in Seattle, <laughs> I, I very seldom hurt any parts. Uh, I never blew a motor up. Um, yeah. I bent a couple of staters. Like I, I think Kip went through a tail list. I think I did, and Jeff stuffed it. You know, the boat held up really great. We really didn't. I never broke a propeller, and I, I wow. never blew a pot end um, in all those years we raced. And it's because I raced within the limits that was designed to run. And we did maintenance and maintained it. And I had awesome drivers, and it, it just uh, it just worked out for us. But there's no reason why some of these teams that blow up stuff all the time need to blow up that stuff all the time. It's just a matter of using your noodle and, and putting the right parts in it to start with, maintaining it, and uh, taking the parts out that wear out and don't go until they break. Bottom line. That's smart racing right there. That says a lot. I mean, you never broke a hot end or a prop, especially. Yeah. And we cracked one one time. Um, but, you know, a Spider, uh, bless his heart, uh, he's an awesome prop guy and uh, it caught, caught stuff when it needed to be done. We caught cracks the stub shafts you know sometimes it seems like it's silly okay why pull it apart we only ran it once well you know what i mean one of those times we popped the prop off the stub shaft cycle of the stub shaft and sure as crap there's a crack right there by the keyway well one more heat might or might not have lost that prop in the lake so yep. we replaced that stub, $2,500 stub shaft but it saved a $10,000 prop well i hope you've enjoyed our episode make sure you come back next week to listen to our next episode we release new episodes every Tuesday at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time.
Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player, as well as rate and review your experience. For more updates on Hydra News, check us out on social media. We're on the major players, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Rooster Tail Talk is also online with our website, www.roostertailtalk.com. On the website, you can sign up for an email subscription list to get notifications on upcoming episodes, Hydro News, podcast updates, and much, much more. Finally, this is a free podcast to all of our listeners. And if you're really enjoying your experience and want to help us to continue to grow and expand, please donate. You can find a link to donate through PayPal on our website through the support tab. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.